Well, so we're going to be talking about all in today, all in, how Jesus sees faith and givers. So how do you feel about counts and counting? Some of you volunteered and spent an inordinate amount of time, and I want to commend you and shout out to you, who were volunteers for recounting and certifying the election here locally. And you know, there's a whole lot of counting going on across our country right now. We've been flooded for the last week with stories about counts and counting. But then again, we live in a world of counts and counting. And I want to ask you today, how do you count things up? How do you calculate things? That's something to ponder, but of course, the infinitely more important question is, how does God count or assess things? How does Jesus see things in the world, in your life, in your heart, and in, in what we do? How does Jesus see faith and givers? What does Jesus want from worshipers in worship? What, what is he looking for from you and in you today, in us as we gather here in the sanctuary? And for those of you who are with us online, what is Jesus looking for from you? And how does Jesus see, how does Jesus judge giving? Giving. That's a really important question every Sunday really every day that God gives to us, and certainly every season. But it most certainly is an important question for us to be considering, praying about, as we move into this stewardship season, looking ahead to our congregation's bicentennial year. How does Jesus see, in other words, how does he judge your giving, our giving? Big picture, the key messages of the Bible are about God, God preeminently, of course, and then connected with the message about God, godliness. And if you tell me, well, what about salvation? Well, I'm going to tell you, salvation has to do with being God's people and being godly people. What about Christian faith and walk? Yeah, well, yeah, that's what we're talking about, godliness. God doesn't randomly save people. God calls them into a relationship with him. And God says, be holy because I, your God, am holy. So big picture story. What are we here for on Sunday? Why do you open the Bible? Two key things. I want you always to remember this. The message about God and then flowing from that, what it is to be godly people. Because saved people, truly saved people, truly born-again people, truly regenerate people will be godly people. Now, as a part of that, back to this. What is godly giving? What giving pleases God? Remember, the big story is about God and is godly. Today, in a few minutes, we're going to be turning to a key central answer that Jesus gives that we're going to open up as we open up our scripture for today from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. 
But before we open that passage of Scripture, I want to remind you of a couple things. One is Jesus speaks more about money and giving and possessions than any other figure in the Bible. A lot of times people say, well, don't talk to me about giving. I'm just interested in Jesus. Well, I can tell you, if you're interested in Jesus, if you're interested in God and godliness for that matter, and Jesus right as the, the, the key light, uh, bringing God to us as God himself, he talks a whole lot about giving and resources and money and planning and future. But back to our specific context for um, Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. I held off on this passage a few months ago, and I told you I'd come back to it during stewardship season. So here, let me, let me remind you about so. The final segment of Mark's gospel begins at Mark chapter 11. And this is the beginning of what we often call Holy Week, okay? Mark 11, Jesus's prophetic entrance, coming from the east, coming across the Mount of Olives, uh, down through the Kidron Valley into the east entrances, uh, the temple entrance actually, temple area entrance into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. Okay, that's the beginning of Mark chapter 11 tells us about Palm Sunday. And then moving through Mark chapter 11, you'll remember we covered this with sermons and scripture readings. Jesus on Monday returns, same way, Mount of Olives, Kidron Valley, coming to the temple precinct area. And on the way in, apparently on the way down the Mount of Olives, Jesus sees a fig tree that is in full early leaf but it turns out has no early figs. So it's a bogus <laughs> uh, greenery, it's, it's a sham. And Jesus curses the fig tree, remember this? Remember how I talked about the fact that that's actually a prophetic sign on the temple and the temple system. And sure enough, Jesus definitely connects the dots because after cursing that fig tree for putting on a show but failing to have any real fruit, by the way, for acting like it's gonna give but actually not giving, do you catch that? Jesus then goes into the temple, and remember, he prophetically clears out a major area of the court of the Gentiles, you know, turns over the money changers' tables, and takes over, basically, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 56, and he speaks, Jesus speaks as the Lord himself, and he says, my house, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, for all the Gentiles, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. So Jesus brings prophetic signs of judgment on the temple itself in the temple area, in the court of Gentiles, because what is supposed to be a wide open opportunity for all the Gentiles ultimately to come to the one true God, they're, they're turning into a marketplace and basically a ritual center. Jesus then after that Monday returns Tuesday and Tuesday's the big long day, at least with a whole lot of exchanges going on. But remember, on the way in, they pass the fig tree. Remember, it's dead through the roots. It's withered through the roots. And his disciples are impressed. And they say something to Jesus. And Jesus then uses that as an opportunity to teach his disciples that real, real fruitfulness and real godliness revolves around these three things. All in faith. Remember this? All in faith, Mark chapter 11, all in faith, all in prayer, kind of like what Amy was talking about earlier, 
and then all in forgiveness of others. As God forgives us, we are to be all in on forgiving others, even people we're mad at, et cetera, et cetera. That's the real temple. That's really living in God's presence. That's real godliness, Jesus is teaching. And then after that, Jesus, his disciples are with him, but that's his last teaching for a while as you read through Mark. And on that big Tuesday, all the big religious leaders in their various groups come at Jesus trying to trick him into committing blasphemy and getting himself in trouble religiously or breaking up the followers, you know, to get camps on either side on different answers to different questions, or even, be even better, if he shows himself in the temple courts, under, basically under the watch of the Roman soldiers, to be a revolutionary that Pilate needs to a, a, a arrest right now and to execute. I, the tricksters, the big religious leaders, are coming at him for either or any of the above, you know. And remember, Jesus basically totally decimates them in all these exchanges, all the way through when they basically give up. They give up, remember this? And then Jesus quotes from Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. And he says, I have a question for you. Why is it that the scribes don't understand the scripture? How is it that David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I'll make your enemies a footstool for your feet? If David is talking about the Messiah, but also referring to the Messiah as Lord and somebody who sits at the right hand of Almighty God and no human being can sit at the right hand of Almighty God, the Messiah is obviously way above just a human being. And your scribes aren't teaching you that. So Jesus is really bringing some heat on the scribes at this point. He flows from that as we move towards the close of chapter 12 to say, the scribes are basically in, in their religion for power and money. And he warns all the people about the scribes. And that leads into our scripture for today. So this is not just one little Sunday school lesson by itself. Mark 12, 41 through 44 happens at the conclusion of what I just described. And Jesus on the other side of this exchange sequence on Tuesday is going to call his disciples back in for some more direct teaching about God and godliness. So let's open Mark 12, 41 through 44. Mark 12, 41 through 44, the conclusion of this chapter as we read it. And he, that's Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he, Jesus, called his disciples to himself and said to them, Amen, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Money talks. 
Ever heard that before? That's the rule of most of the world down here of the so-called civilized jungle, right? Maybe in the real jungle, it's more like teeth talk, but in the civilized jungle, money talks. And let me tell you this, money definitely talked in the temple in a whole lot of ways, including literally, audibly. Because let me describe this scene. You've got to understand what's going on here. The, the, the treasury court is to the east of the main inner sanctum of the temple, where you have the offering area out front leading up to the holy place and the holy of holies. Okay, so we're over to the east of that. We're to the east of that in the treasury court, which was also commonly referred to as the court of women. You'll see it described like that a lot of times in the Bible. The court of the women, though, centrally had the treasury and the treasury court there right in the middle under the colonnade. That, that, and beyond it, we're, we're looking at the temple proper, okay? So there is the treasury. And it's highlighted by this setup. I want you to picture this, okay? There were 13 chests or boxes, major chests, major boxes, for different types of collections. New shekel dues, old shekel dues, bird offerings. I mean, all kinds of different things. And, and a number of them were labeled as free will offering boxes. Okay, but here's the way the boxes worked. Shooting up from the chest or from the boxes were so-called trumpets, like inverted trumpets, bronze receptacles, where the wide mouth is out where you give, okay? And then the funnel got narrower and narrower as you went into the chest so that neither the giver nor any thief could reach in and stop the coins once they were going in. Y'all get that? Maybe we should do that at church sometime, right? So you got this huge, uh, underneath the colonnade, this huge array of chest, giving chest, with these trumpets, the trumpets. And so understand this, the currency in those days was comprised of coins. Okay, we're not talking dollar bills here. We're talking coins and different types of coins at different weights, different metals, okay? And the weights and the metals, and obviously who issued them, had to do with the value of the coins. So I, I hope you're getting the picture here now. When people walked up and gave dropped coins into those trumpets, everybody could hear what number of coins they were giving, what type of coins, and if you had any common sense at all, you knew exactly basically what the gifts were. Do you all understand what I'm saying here? This is not anonymous giving going on here. So Jesus decides, after he's basically taken down all the religious leaders, on his way preparing to depart from the temple, because the next passage, uh, Mark 13, he's on his way out of the temple. They're leaving the temple for good. He's never coming back, okay? Never coming back to the temple. He's brought his judgment on, on the temple. And, and, and one of the disciples or some of the disciples say, what amazing stones. And Jesus says, not one's going to be left on another, okay? Within a generation, it's all gone. So this is right before that. He's starting teaching his disciples on the way to making clear that he has just judged the temple. It's coming down. The whole system is coming down. On his way out, 
Jesus stops in front of the treasury with all these boxes and these trumpets. Y'all got the picture now, right? So there's Jesus, and he sits and watches the giving. Did you know that God can observe all of our giving, actually all of our actions? You know that God can do that spiritually, right? Wouldn't it be really interesting to have Jesus in the flesh right across from you watching your giving? Well, that's what happens right now. So if you're interested in how Jesus sees giving, you actually have this example. This is the historic example of Jesus. He sat down, verse 41 says, opposite the treasury, and I've told you what that looks like, and watched the people putting their money into the offering boxes. Now, this was a really special time for giving. It's the days immediately leading up to the Passover. All kinds of pilgrims are there. And if you really want to be right with God, this is when you give. And by the way, the, the temple courts are swarming with people. They're normally pretty crowded. They're really crowded now. So if you want to make a statement about giving and put some really loud, heavy, big-time coins into the trumpets, there's a good time to do it. So that is all going on all around. And Jesus is watching all this. What counts with Jesus? Many rich people put in large sums. Jesus apparently was unimpressed. Unimpressed. And then 42. But a, and, and let me explain. Actually, I'm going to pick at some words here. One, one poor widow. The, the Greek there, Mark is writing in Greek. Know anybody named Mia? Well, in Greek, Mia means one, okay? One poor widow came. Now let's break that down for a minute. One poor widow. So she's, she's a widow, of course. That means she's lost her husband. She's bereaved. She's not remarried. Not only is she a widow, she's unaccompanied. It's clear that she's by herself. So get what this means. It's not like she has some sons who are supporting her financially and physically. There is no son coming with her. There is no brother-in-law or uncle coming with her. For that matter, there are no daughters coming with her or daughters with their husbands, so the son-in-laws. I mean, there, there's no family group coming with this widow. She is totally destitute, okay? And, and, and to double underline this, Mark says she's poor. So one poor widow doesn't get any more powerless in Jesus's world that Jesus came to save than that. One poor widow. But surprise, and it's all through the New Testament, it's definitely all through Jesus's teaching, his economics are not our economics. Money talks to him in an entirely different way, a revolutionarily different way than the way we see it, right? So all through the Gospels, Jesus keeps telling us, and the word here is patoke. If you're with me on Wednesday nights, you know I kind of went off on that when we went into Psalm 41 this past Wednesday night and talked about Jesus' teaching about the poor. Jesus, looking at his disciples, you can read this in the, the beatitude, opening beatitude of the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor. Among his disciples, his disciples who are poor are especially blessed. Why? What do they have? They don't have much money. Yeah, listen to what Jesus says. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of God. That's what you possess. 
He totally reverses the way we count things and see things here on earth. In the economics of the kingdom of God, God just sees a whole lot differently than we do. And so here comes this one poor widow. And the scripture goes on and says, she put in two small copper coins. And in the English translation here, we see which makes a penny. Well, actually, what it actually says in the Greek is she put in two lepta. Leptus literally means scaled or sliced. This is the thinnest coin. I mean, you take coins and you slice them down. She, she, and, 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 and it says, which make to, together two of these little bitties. By the way, do thin coins make much noise in the temple courts on the trumpets? No, no, this is pitiful compared to all these big coins, these big hairy things that are being put in. Um, which make a, and, and here it is, codrontis. Codontes. That, that means, okay, that means a fourth of an asarius, which originally was a tenth of a denarius, but actually by this point uh, meant one sixteenth of a denarius. So let me, let me put this clearly to you. This is one sixty-fourth of a normal day's wage. One sixty-fourth of a normal day's wage. That's what she's putting in. So what's Jesus going to teach about this? And he said to them, amen. And when he says amen, when Jesus says amen, it means pay attention. Anything he says, you better pay attention. But as a disciple, if you're seeking godliness, you pay double attention when Jesus says amen. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering boxes. Whoa. Let's not gloss over this really fast. Okay, so Jesus is not just saying, okay, compared to one, one rich person is putting in the box, okay? The woman has given more somehow. How do you come up with that, Jesus? I don't know, but th this woman has given more than just one person, you know, if you just put one-on-one. -on -one. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you take all these wealthy people, and, and let's say while Jesus is watching, I wouldn't be surprised if they put in the equivalent uh, inflation adjusted, about $500,000 worth of giving. All these coins that Jesus has been watching. Jesus says, you put them all together. And I'll take the one woman who's put in basically a buck of small coins. And she has given more. That's how Jesus counts. How is that? How did she possibly give more than everybody else put together that whole day? All that wealth being thrown out in front of each other. Well, we're talking about God and godliness. And we're talking about the heart, the truth, where the soul is. Let me ask you this. Does God need a little bit extra change from us? Does God need a whole lot of extra change from us to make his kingdom work, to make his mission? Does he actually need money to make that happen with 27 people who aren't Christians becoming Christians in Manchester, one of the most secular cities in the world, one of the most post-Christians? Did God need a few extra hundred dollars to make that happen? What do you think? Did Jesus actually need the five loaves and two fish to feed? The 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, do you actually need those fish? No, but he gives us the opportunity.
right? Because he's looking for your heart. And giving is a clear indicator. It doesn't, giving does not save us at all. It has nothing to do with, it, it's a reflection of, are we saved, basically? It's a reflection of, have our hearts been set on fire by the love of God? Or are we basically trying to manage God as we hold on to our stuff and have our own hearts? I mean, that's what, that's what giving is actually about. So amazingly enough, Jesus says, you know what? I look at hearts. I don't need your money. But this is a matter of salvation in your soul. And I'm telling you, she just gave more than all the rest put together. And you know what? That's actually prophetically true. In Jesus good, the way he's prophetically true, this poor widow with her widow's might has inspired more giving through the generations. All those people, let's say they gave 500,000. Let's say they gave a million dollars that day, just in the few minutes Jesus was watching it. You ever heard about that million dollars? Hmm? Make any difference to you? But the widow's might has spoken to countless people and brought them to real saving grace and giving. Jesus says they gave out of their surplus. They gave it, they gave it. it didn't matter to them. I mean, it was just kind of like, well, you know what? I got enough. I'll give a little bit. This woman apparently is missing her breadcrumbs and soup that night because she loves God so much that she wants to honor him on Passover week. And she puts everything. What Jesus is actually literally saying here is she's giving everything she possesses. In other words, she's giving herself. What does God want? Does he want your money or does he want you? Of course he wants you. Do you understand? This all circles around each other. And then again, just digging into the language a little bit more here. Panta Iken Bayan. What this literally is saying, what Jesus is literally saying is she gave all her life. Not just what she had to live on, literally it's her whole life. She's given it all to me. And I will honor that gift. But I don't care about these folks who are just giving what it's easy for them to give. This woman has given me her whole life. That's how Jesus counts things. That's his assessment. See, she was all in. She was all in. And there were a lot of people who were not all in. And that's Jesus' last teaching to his disciples as he leaves the temple courts forever. And on the way out, when they're impressed with all what Herod's wealth has brought, all those big stones and the big addition to the temple, he says, I tell you the truth, not one of these stones is gonna be left on another within a generation. See, we have the opportunity to participate with the Lord and to give ourselves and flowing from that to give fruit, including financial giving, that has to do with our souls and with him forever, true God and godliness. Remember the rich young ruler? 
He's really earnest, and he really wants to help Jesus out, and he really wants to be a believer, and he wants to be saved, and he wants to inherit eternal life. Remember this? He, he wants to go to heaven. A lot of people, I, I talked to a lot of people who want to go to heaven. The rich young ruler, this is back in Mark chapter 10. He says, Lord, I followed all the laws, but, but I, I know something's missing. Help me out here. And Jesus says, okay, all you got to do is one more thing. Kind of remember the way the widow gives all her life. Give all your life away. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and then come and be with me forever. And remember the rich young ruler goes away really sad because what? It says, Mark says he had a lot of possessions. He had a lot of stuff. What's your God right now? Is it what you got here or him? We all have to make the choice. Now, Jesus doesn't, you know, command all of us to sell every possible thing that we have, but it's basically the same spiritual issue, right? Are you all in? Are you all in? That's God. That's godliness. And that's salvation. You know, his um, disciples are perturbed with this. And Jesus goes on and teaches. Remember this? He says, you know, the wealthy, man, they really have a hard time getting into heaven. It'll be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved and to be in the kingdom forever. And they said, well, <laughs> Lord, this is impossible. And remember Jesus says, he says, yeah, with, with people it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How can it be possible with God? And let's circle back around to the good news here. Remember what the Lord teaches Samuel? People look on the outside. I look at the heart. That's the way I judge, God says. 1 Samuel 16. God doesn't need your money. But this is a salvific issue. You don't save yourself by giving, but he's calling you to salvation, to trust in him. And to trust in him, it's all in. He wants to set you free, set us free, our hearts and our souls, inspiring us to rejoice in him. Not in our stuff, not in what we think we're trying to hold on to here, but in him. Jesus teaches this. You know what Jesus teaches? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he wants you to be with him forever. If you're going to be with him forever... Your heart is fully all in with him. Jesus says, John 4, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here's the truth. You will not take anything with you. You may want to leave behind the mask, but you know what? The mask may be about your best chance of taking something out of here, right? Um, You will not walk out of life with anything. Naked I came into the world, naked I depart, says Job, right? But you can have the Lord forever. You can have not the temple treasury, but God's treasury forever. That is the gospel invitation. Remember how I said, Jesus says, you know, it's, 
impossible with us because we just want to hang on to stuff, right? How could our little clawy hands and fingers let go? You know how? For him to change us from the inside out. And you know how he's done that ultimately? Guess who was all in? I mean, throughout his whole life, but especially a few days after this event. Guess who matched up and infinitely went beyond the widow? She gave her whole life. Remember I told you that's what it literally says? Guess who gave his whole life for you? Jesus. That's love. That's who God is. And those who will follow him will follow in his train. I pray, I hope, and I invite you to be one of his people and to know the joy of God's treasury now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, in this season, when we are reminded in countless ways how the things and the powers and the wealth and the politics of this world come and go, Lord, we know that the nations even are a drop in a bucket compared to your eternal purposes and who you are. Lord, I pray that everyone here will repent and come to you for salvation. And Lord, for those of us who have already surrendered to you, Lord, renew us in that sure gospel. And by your spirit, inspire us to continue to be all in, all in for you. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.